Well, we are in a series called Giving 360 Degrees, or 360 Degree Giving. And what we're looking at is how do we become generous givers? I think God's people ought to be the most generously giving people on the planet. And I think the gospel is working in our hearts to help us do that. We're going to see that today. We're going to see how the Lord is going to teach us to learn to give ahead and lay up treasures in eternity. Let me tell you about William Wise. He was from Tennessee. He was buried in 1960. Now listen, when they buried him, they killed his favorite horse, buried the horse with him, took his best hunting dog, killed the dog, planted the dog in the ground with him, and put his favorite sword in the grave as well, because he was sure he was going to go to hell. And what he wanted to do and what he thought he could do, he was determined to track down the devil and kill him. That's William Wise. Then you've got an oil baroness, a socialite, Sandra West. She was buried behind the steering wheel of her Ferrari. What she told her friends, the reason she was buried like that was that she was going to drive that car right through the pearly gates. Or you've got Frank Sinatra. He was buried with a, a flask of Jack Daniels and a pack of Camel cigarettes. I could go on and on all the way since the Egyptian kings. They've been buried with things that they thought they could take into eternity with them. But as they say, you don't see hearses pulling U-Haul trailers. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And that's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn how do you send treasure ahead of you into eternity. Well, I want to encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 6 because some of you are probably thinking, what kind of sermon is this? This is the first time I've been here. He's going to teach me to send my money ahead. Well, let's see what Jesus is going to teach us because we're going to be buried in the Word of God together. And we're going to see two treasures, two eyes, or two perspectives, and two masters. So Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 24, but let's start with the two treasures. What does Jesus say? Let's look together at verse 19. Let's get your Bibles open. Here's what he's going to say. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All right, so let's take a quick time out. Let's get our bearings. This is the greatest sermon ever preached. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. And the entire sermon is intended to change our internal motivation. It's the gospel. Now listen, I want you to look at me because you've really got to get this. If you really want to understand how the gospel of grace works, here's how it works. It first helps us understand our great need before God. That we are sinners, we are separated from him. God saves us because we could not save ourselves. The gospel first begins to show us our great need for Christ, our great need for salvation. Listen, our great need for help. And then it begins to show us God's willingness and God's love to give us that help, to save us, to change us, to give us eternal life rather than eternal death. The gospel shows us our need, and then it begins to show us the remedy. 
And this is what this sermon's going to do. How do we give ahead? How do we become generous givers that lay up treasures for eternity? Well, we've got to see that maybe some of us, and maybe most of us, struggle when it comes to handling money. Years ago, I had somebody actually, can you believe this, write me into his will. Actually wrote me into his life insurance policy. Every time he got sick, I began to pay really close attention. In fact, I almost ran him over accidentally with my truck. Listen, money, that's true. Well, I didn't, the, the second two things is not true. Okay, the first one is. But money does strange things to us. The promise of money can do strange things. It can mess with your mind. We're really okay without a lot of it. But our flesh says we need it. Well, do not lay up for yourselves. Here's Jesus speaking. He's preaching. Treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, the difference between the two kinds of treasure is this. One is earthly. The other is heavenly. Now, listen, I know that's not spectacularly insightful. But let's at least start at the surface. We're going to dig a little bit down. He gives two commands. These are two commands. The word... The words lay up that repeat twice, each of them are in the Greek language a command. So he's commanding us, do not lay up for yourselves earthly treasure. Now listen, listen, people don't get this. He's commanding a second time, lay up for yourselves heavenly treasures. He's not saying if you decide to lay up treasures, make sure that they're in heaven. He's commanding us to lay them up. He wants us doing our banking in heaven. Now, why do we miss that? My guess is that the majority of us have never really quite seen that Jesus commands us to lay up treasures in heaven. Well, handling money is a big deal to God. Bible devotes, did you know this? The Bible devotes over 2,000 verses for it. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus gave in the New Testament are on the subject of money. He talked about money five times more than he talked about any other subject in the Bible. But what does Jesus mean by lay up treasures? By the way, can I show you one more thing? Look at that verse 19. Look what he says, lay up treasures for yourselves. That sounds kind of greedy, sounds selfish, sounds anti-Jesus. But that's in fact what he says, lay up treasures, I'm commanding you, for yourselves in heaven. But what's he mean by lay up treasures? I want you to see the screen. This is pretty interesting to me. The word or the phrase lay up. I want you to see what that is, and I want you to see what the word treasures is. The first one, treasures, is thesauros in the Greek language. Now, you've seen a thesaurus. It's a storehouse of words. That's where we get this word, thesaurus. That's where we get the English word, thesaurus. That's what this word is for treasures. But I want you to see, even more interestingly, look at the phrase lay up. It's thesaurizo, which is the same word, but now it's a verb. So he says, in verb form, store up storehouses of treasure. Now this is pretty fascinating to me. It's the same word. 
If you want to take it literally, he says, do not treasure treasures on earth, but do treasure treasures in heaven. And his warning, the first one, is simple. Don't stockpile monies and possessions. Now let me be utterly clear, because sometimes I think preachers can take this a little bit too far. He's not condemning a savings account. Nor is he condemning a retirement plan. He's not even condemning having nice things. The Bible speaks to all of those. Let me give you a little bit of a tour. Proverbs 21.20 tells us precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. That means nice things. Or Proverbs 24, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious, precious and pleasant riches. Having nice things is not anti-gospel. It's okay to have nice things. It's okay to save, as Solomon noted from the queen ant, who in Proverbs 6, he said, the queen ant, without having any chief, officer or ruler she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest in fact listen friends saving money has benefits to our children and our grandchildren for children are not obligated paul wrote to save up for their parents but parents for their children and even the bible says for their children's children listen what christ is correcting in us is not investing, not saving, not possessing, but listen, you've got to get this, and this is the entire first part of the message. What he's condemning, what he's correcting, is the stockpiling of earth, earth things beyond what we need in deriving our happiness and security and peace from them. Now listen, some of us are not going to like this sermon. And you know what, I don't even feel bad for you. Because I've been in this all week suffering. This is hard. This is difficult. What Jesus is correcting is what most of us do. We stockpile more than we need. We hoard. And in our mind we're justifying it because there's a rainy day coming. You never know when you're going to need it. And it causes us to hold on when there are the poor and there are ministries all around of us that need help. There's an abundance too big to use. It's piled up. That's not how a Christian should live. Proverbs puts it this way. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. And Jesus gives us the reasons to not, to not stockpile on earth. Look what he says. Because it's where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now let me give you some background on this. This is, I think, incredibly interesting. Because wealth in the biblical days was measured in three ways. You ready? It was measured in how many clothes you have or the, the type of clothes you had. It was measured in the amount of grain you possessed. And it was measured in the amount of precious stones, gold, and silvers, silver that you had. So grain, clothing, money. Those are the three ways that wealth was measured in the biblical times. Now let's go with the clothing. Do you remember Naaman? 
He was the leprous second in command of Syria, and he had, he had leprosy. So he goes to Elisha, the prophet, and he says to Elisha, can you heal me? And he brought with him gold and silver and ten changes of clothing. That clothing was valuable clothing. It was high-end clothing. Or do you remember Samson when he promised that if you could figure out the riddle that I'm going to give you, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Listen, that's money. That's wealth. He's bartering. Or Joseph, who lavishes five changes of garments onto his younger brother, Benjamin. This is a lot of money in those clothes. And if they weaved gold into those clothes, it was even more high-end, which they often did. But the clothing had a problem, and the problem was called moths. The best cloth was wool, which was especially vulnerable to the larvae, which, when they hatched, would eat their way through the cloth to survive. But here's the point. I want you to get the imagery, so I'll explain it this way. You're never going to see two people wearing clothes walking down the road, and one of them says, hey, a hole just got out of your clothes. That wasn't there before. Because moths don't attack that which is being used. They only attack that which is being stockpiled and stored. You ever thought of that? Listen, what you're using is invulnerable to moths. What you are storing and stockpiling is vulnerable. Jesus is talking about vulnerable assets. He's talking about vulnerable commodities. And anything you lay up treasures on earth with, if they are made of earth's materials, they are vulnerable. Well, let's go to the second one. Look at your word rust. You might have a footnote in your Bible. And it might say eating, because that word in the Greek was never, ever anywhere in the Bible interpreted or translated with rust. It means eating. Now, I'm from central New York, so in central New York, the winters are brutal, the salt is liberally spread, and it eats its way through the steel of our vehicles. It just gnaws away at it. By the end of the winter, you can see the rust just encroaching over the vehicle. But that's where they get this, but it's not rust that's in mind. It's grain being eaten by the worm and by the rodents. That's what's in mind. And if you stockpile grain, it is now vulnerable to the rodents. It is now susceptible to the worms. And if they get in there, they can ruin the whole granary. You know, I just read that right now in India, they're struggling with food shortages. You know why? They've got so much stockpiled. But it's being ruined by rats. They've got a rat problem. They even made a bartering rat for money deal. They have rats that get into their grain and it ruins the entire grain. They cannot keep it safe. In fact, they say that 30% in India, 30% of their grain is eaten by rats and vermin and worms. I bet you want to go to Panera tonight, don't you? That was a little humor. Very little. Now listen, I want you to think right now about your kitchen and your freezer. You probably know what's in there, generally speaking. And I want to ask you, and I'm asking me as well, are our cupboards and our freezers filled to overflowing 
then listen, consider sharing some of that food with the hungry or buy less, use coupons and share the savings with the poor around the world. You know, I met somebody recently that's got 80 pairs of shoes. It was a guy. No lie. Listen, if you've got more clothes and you've got more shoes than you need, well, consider giving them away to those who need it. But even better, sell them and use the money that you're getting from it to support people and to support God's work around the world. What about the third way that wealth was measured? Gold and precious metals, which were, Jesus says, susceptible to thieves. You know, the majority of their homes, you know this, right? They were built out of clay, not out of brick. You didn't get really brick homes until you got up to Babylon. In the land of Israel, they were built mainly out of clay. And all you've got to do if you're a thief is literally dig your way through the wall. In fact, precious metals and gold and silver, they were so susceptible, they didn't have banks. They didn't have checkbooks that they could store their money in a bank and just write a check. They didn't have debit cards. They didn't have visas. They paid with cold, hard cash grain, or clothes. And if you've got your precious metals into your house, well, they're susceptible to a thief. So what they would often do is they would find a place on their property and they would dig a hole and they would bury it when nobody was looking and try to disguise the hole and they go back to their homes. This is why the pearl of great price, this is why the man in the parable that Jesus gives was walking through a field and discovered treasured. He discovered a freshly dug hole. He dug it up, and there is treasure. This is what they did, and they're susceptible to thieves. And so all three of them, Jesus is saying the same thing. If you stockpile your clothes, they're susceptible to the moth. If you stockpile your grain, they're susceptible to the rust or the eating of the rodents and the vermin. And if you stockpile your money, it's susceptible to the thief. Now, do you see where he's going in this sermon? Well, just in case you're not, let me kind of summarize it. Do not treasure treasures. Do not stockpile and amass more than what you need, is what Jesus is saying. Not on earth. Instead, stockpile for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you move from treasures on earth to treasures in heaven? Keep listening. We're, trying to, we're going to try to get to that. He's saying, do your banking in heaven, and you're going to discover what the martyr Jim Elliott once said, that great missionary, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Send it ahead, Jesus says. Did you ever know you could do that? Send it ahead. Send it into eternity. And the way you do that, now listen, is by generously investing now in people and the word of God. And I'm going to teach you how to do that in the end and when you do that you're going to discover look what he says where your treasure is well there your heart will be also do you know that you and i we can if we wanted to sit down with each other and we can say i know where your heart is when it comes to money did you know you could do that to me and that i could do that to you as well here's how you do it Take your banking statement, let's say the last three months, and let's just walk our way through it. 
And that will tell you where your heart is when it comes to money. Or let's take the most recent acquisitions in the last six months. Are you laying up treasures on earth for yourselves? Or are you living with what you need, refusing to go excessively over that and instead investing in people into the word of God? This is where the gospel is aiming for you, for me, that we would be generous Christians that are not stockpiling, not amassing more than we need here, but instead sending it ahead and amassing treasures in heaven that we will enjoy for eternity. And he gives us two perspectives, two eyes, so to speak, in which to gauge money. And I want you to read it with me. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? See, Jesus just taught us that where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. And he talks about our eye. Now listen, look at me. Not the eyes under our foreheads. But the eye of our heart, which means this, the motivation by which we live. So he's talking about our, our hearts, and he's talking about what motives, what desires, what dreams, what expectations, what demands live in our heart. This is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it, from your heart, flow all the issues of life. Here's the control center, and we've got an eye. And we can see into it. This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened or have light. We can see and know God, meaning to be opened by God so that we can comprehend and know truth. And the Holy Spirit, this is what the Spirit of God does. Now listen, this might be happening even right now. I mean, there's a lot of times I'm sitting in a sermon and all of a sudden God begins opening my eyes. This sermon series, listen, this sermon series for me, 360 Degree Giving, has been eye-opening. I'm seeing the way that I spend money. I'm seeing the way that my family manages money that is not honorable to the Lord. And I begin to make those corrections, but this is what the Spirit of God does. He enlightens us. He pulls back the blinds pulls back the curtains so that we can see. Now listen, when you pull up the blinds and you pull back the curtains and the light comes in, all of a sudden you can see what you could not notice before. Well, this is how enlightenment works. When God, through a sermon, through a friend, through a book, through a song, through an experience, maybe directly from the Spirit of God to you, but when he raises the blinds and when he pulls back the curtains, all of a sudden you can see a whole world in your heart that you never even knew before. And sometimes it's terrifying, sometimes it's convicting, and other times it's really encouraging because the grace of God has done a work of change in you. Enlightenment is a gift of grace. But look at the verse. And you see that word healthy? Let me read it again because your version may be something different. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body would be full of light. Yours might say if your eye is single or your eye is good or your eye is clear. But let me tell you what you can translate that word by. It's this. If your eye is generous or bountiful. 
what that word means. If your eye is generous or bountiful, and that's what it means, a single-minded heart focuses clearly on eternity. You don't have double vision, one eye on eternity, one eye on the world, and you're running after both. That's what we're going to hear in two masters in a minute. No, you've got single-minded vision. You've got one eye, not plural eyes. Look what the text says. You've got one eye. It is single-minded, it is generous, it is bountiful, and you are all about generously giving the way that the Lord instructs. Listen, if you've got a new heart, Christian brother and sister, and if you're a Christian brother and sister, you do have a new heart, and then the Spirit of God is flooding you with a motivation to be generous, then your whole body, look at the whole self, your whole self will be full of light, full of joy, full of peace and happiness. Listen, haven't you discovered that? When the world's fingers get off of your heart and you can live generously, don't you get full of joy? Aren't you all of a sudden full of peace and happiness? This is the way it works. This is what the gospel is doing. It's giving us a motivation to be generous with our monies. This is why Hudson Taylor said, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. Listen, if you want happiness, you want joy, then start giving generously, laying up treasures in eternity, and you're going to find it flooding your heart. But each of these three contrasts, two treasures, two perspectives, two masters, they all have a but, or they all have a however. That's a coin that flips in the scripture. Listen, if your eye is generous, your whole light, your whole body is going to be full of light. Now flip the coin, but, and look what he says, if your eye is bad. You know what that literally means? It means if you've got an evil eye. And that Greek word means a grudging and stingy motivation where you lay up treasures on earth. Listen, he says, you're going to be full of darkness. You're going to be full of sadness and meaninglessness and despair. And that's why he says, if then the light that is in you is darkness, how can light be darkness? If the motivation that is in you is selfishness, hoarding, and coveting, and then your whole life will be without the knowledge of God. And it's only the knowledge of God that produces joy and peace and happiness. Now the Bible talks about the evil eye all over the place. Let me give you two examples. One in the Old, or two in the Old Testament, one in Proverbs. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. Now listen, you play in the lottery? If you're a Christian, why would you play the lottery but to amass? And you cannot possibly tell me that it's so if you win, you can support missionaries all over the globe. You may think that, you may actually believe that, but you don't know what happens when money gets a hold of your soul. Why would you play the lottery? I had somebody come in here one time, this was a month ago, and hold up lottery tickets with a big smile, and I just shook my head, and I started praying. Lord, you got to free that man. He is laying up treasures on earth. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Take care, Deuteronomy says, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, grudgingly or evil on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. That's the evil eye. That's what that means, grudgingly, the evil eye. If we treasure the earth's treasures, storing them up, having more than we need, your eye will be evil, your heart will be darkened, and it will keep you from joy, peace, and happiness. There's a lot of Christians who have ruined their lives on the reefs of money. But if you have a generous eye, you're going to be full of joy, you're going to be laying up treasures in heaven, and you're going to be anticipating them and enjoying them for all eternity. And he leads us to the third contrast, verse 24. Two masters. So we've seen two treasures, two perspectives, two masters. And he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now listen, go back again to, to the word I. It's singular because you can't have an eye on God and an eye on money. You can't have a motivation on God at the same time a motivation on money. One of them is going to claim your heart. One of them is going to be your master. And you're going to be its slave, your servant. You see, the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, you've got to get this. This is actually the center of this sermon. The entire Sermon on the Mount aims at our hearts. And remember, it's the control center of all of our living. But here's what the Assyrians believed. The Assyrians conquered Israel. They had this little belief. It's a superstitious belief. But they believed that a demon, if it saw itself in a mirror would fly away. So the Assyrians had a lot of glass working done so that they could put as many mirrors into their house as possible. Because again, if a demon saw itself in a mirror, it would be so abhorred, it would be so revulsed at itself that it would fly away. See, the sermon that Christ gives, and listen, friends, this is how the gospel works. The sermon that Christ gives does two things. It's a mirror. The Bible is called the mirror. It's referred to as a mirror in James. And the mirror aims at us. See, Christ is preaching, and all of a sudden, rich young rulers are coming. And they're saying, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, here's what you've got to do. And he says, well, I've done all of these things. He's not looking in a very clear mirror. Because he's not done any of those to the standard of God's holiness, but he thinks he has. And he says, you know what, God, I'm, I, Jesus, I'm looking in the mirror right now, and, and you know what, I'm looking pretty good. I've done all the things you just said I need to do to be saved. And then Jesus says this, you know what, take all of your wealth, take all of your possessions, and develop a good eye, a generous eye, sell them and give them to the poor. And the man walked away sad. He wouldn't do it. See, the word of God is a mirror and it aims at our hearts and it's painful at times. It hurts at times to see dark spots of cancer that the gospel and the great physician has to dig out. But listen, then the word of God aims upward and you get to see God's holiness. You get to see God's standard. The Sermon on the Mount is all about God's standard. And all of a sudden we get to see, listen, I don't look very good. 
I mean, God's perfect, and I don't look nearly as good. What am I going to do? And here's what the gospel does. Are you ready? It drives us into despair where we finally give up and say, God, I can't fix myself. And the moment you give up, you look up. And all of a sudden, God says, I've been waiting for this day. Because you've been trying and I've been preaching. You've been trying and I'm sending my word to break you, to lead you to brokenness so that you finally get to the bottom and despair and moral bankruptcy. And all of a sudden you look up and you can see the cross. And when you look up and you can see the cross, you get to see the Son of God on that cross. And all of a sudden you get to see the Savior saying, listen, I'm dying in your place. I was rich and I became poor so that you who is poor can become rich. And my power is going to flood you. And I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to give you an internal motivation so that you've got a good eye a good perspective so you can see treasures as nothing here on earth don't lay them up look ahead and get your treasures into eternity that's the gospel that's the power of grace and this is what jesus is doing and he says you can only have one master you can only have one master Because, you know, God's not, I, I think sometimes I have to give this corrective. I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit fan like I am. I love those movies, especially the Lord of the Rings. But listen, God is not like the dragon smog who is hoarding and loves to sit on piles of gold and silver and rubies. He doesn't need you to give him more money because as if he relishes your money and wants to sit on it like a dragon listen your money does nothing to god it's all about your heart he owns the cattle on a thousand hills the bible said meaning he owns everything you can't possibly give god for his birthday not that he has one but you can't give him something for his birthday that he didn't already have because he's got it all so he's not after your money, he's after your heart. He's not after my money, he's after our heart. And he's all about this. Can you have a hand where your fingers refuse to close over the earth's possessions? And just let me have access to it whenever I want. And when you get too many things in your hand and it starts spilling off, you know what? You're stockpiling. And so I want you to take it deliberately and divert it. I want you to give it to the poor. I want you to give it to those who are in need. I want you to give it to the ministries that are preaching and teaching and bringing the word of God because it's only the word of God that can save souls. I want you to have a grip that is open and I want you to invest in eternity. See, preaching takes our fingers and opens them one at a time. We need it. We need it. John Calvin said this, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Listen, if you're pursuing money, and you're pursuing what money can buy, possessions, then bit by bit, your love and your admiration and your service to the Lord will suffer and diminish until it's this one that you serve and not Jesus. Because they're two competing masters. And money promises much, but it can never deliver. 
not on either side of the grave, not on this one nor the other one. It cannot make you happy here, and it certainly cannot make it through the grave. But God promises, give generously, and you're going to have what you need here and more than you ever imagined in eternity. Listen, the money master tells you that giving generously is divesting, whereas God tells you, no, it's investing. The money master tells us to stockpile. Your future is uncertain. But God tells you to give generously. He's going to take care of all you need. And your eternal future will be glorious. But if we begin, and if we begin to devote ourselves to money, pursuing it, we're going to despise God. That word means to regard him as little in our lives. Are you ready? Here's the good news. I'm going to aim this upwards. But if you devote yourself to God, Christian brother and sister, listen. Then you will begin to despise money, meaning to regard it very little. And your life will flood with joy and peace. How difficult it is to have money and prevent our money from having us. Do you own stock? How often are you checking on it? Obsessively, addictively, is it messing with your mind? Is it interfering with your life? Do you check your savings? If you have a cash box at home, are you going into it pretty regularly just to make sure you didn't count wrong and that nobody took any of it? You're checking your 401k numbers over and over. You're worrying that they're going down or that the bank might not be calculating it right. Listen, all of those actions will enslave you. Be wise, be prudent, don't be obsessive. Do not treasure treasures. But let me close by answering this question. It's going to take me just a little time to do it, so worship team, hold on for just a minute. Here's the question. How can we Lay up treasures in heaven. I mean, that, if you're like me, that's the question that's burning in you. And I want you to listen to what Paul, the apostle, tells young Timothy, a burgeoning pastor in Ephesus. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now listen to this. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That is Paul's version of lay up treasures in heaven. And look what it says, for themselves. How do you do it? Look what he says. Do good. Be rich in good works. What are those good works? Well, to be generous. you got to be generous and get ready to share. When you're doing that, listen, you are storing up treasure in heaven. You're going to be able to enjoy that for eternity. Friends, you can send treasure ahead of you. And it will make it through the grave. Nothing on this earth will, but heavenly treasure does. And the key, what is it? How do we do that? Well, the key is in the words of Jesus about the indestructibility of investing in heaven's treasures. Listen, you've got to invest in what is indestructible. There's only two things that I know of that the Bible says is indestructible. You ready? People and the word of God. That's it. 
Listen, there's nothing else. People and the word of God. Now you might be thinking, well, what about the things that I do in the name of Christ? Don't they, the fire comes against it and don't they, you're right. But that's part of being a people and part of being a person. Nothing on this earth will last forever, but you can lay up treasures in heaven. You can invest in what is indestructible. And those two indestructible things are loving people, giving to people, and giving to ministries or to organizations that are bringing the word of God. Now look at what Matthew 24 says. This is Jesus. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of God, friends, it is indestructible. He says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, that is nothing. It is free for us. If you give even a little one a cup of cold water, look what happens. Because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You're laying up treasures in heaven when you give kindness to people who are in need. And you cannot lose that reward. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Well, what's the very fabric of a loan? It gets paid back. God will pay you back when you share wisely with the poor. And he will pay you back in eternity. Years ago, this is a long time ago, Denise and I, that's my wife, we had foolishly gotten ourselves into a lot of credit card debt. And we began that dance that a lot of us have done where you keep transferring the balance to another 0% interest card for six months. And then when it gets close to being done, you transfer it again. It was putting a strain on our marriage. That's what debt will do. Pastor Matthew, or not Pat, well, not yet at least, Matt Potter, he, uh, he brought that out last week. Listen, it will put a strain on your marriage. And it was putting a strain on my marriage with my wife. And we learned the cold, hard, brutal lesson that the lender is always the master to the one who takes the loan. And the loan getter is the slave. Two families, and I will never forget this, two families independent of each other sensed and i can only imagine it had to be the lord because we weren't talking to anybody about this sensed that something was not right with us not right in our marriage and they relentlessly asked what is happening and finally we told them we made mistakes financially and we were we were in a lot of credit card debt each of those families, again, independently from each other, each of them said, you know what? This is what Christian brothers do for one another. I think you're repentant. I think you've learned your lesson. I think you're not going to do this again. We're going to help you get out of debt. One family wrote a check, and what was still lacking in getting us out of debt, another family, without even knowing what the other family did, wrote the balance. Got us out of debt. And that was it with credit card debt. We've never been in it again. Listen, did that earn for those two families, those two couples, their salvation? Are they now saved because they gave money to a pastor or to somebody else? No. Salvation is by grace, through grace, by faith. It is never of our works, lest we could boast. It's always the cross of Christ. 
But they laid up treasure in heaven, and God will repay them for their deed. Not that I seek the gift, Paul wrote in Philippians, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's talking about money. Listen, I'm not about your money. And church, I can tell you, I don't care if you give more money to this church or not. I'm not about your money and our, and our treasury. I'm about what Paul said, that the fruit can increase to your credit. That's eternal treasure. Which is why Martin Luther said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. You will never lose them, ever. And nowhere will your giving be a better investment for eternity than getting God's word to people, be it a missionary, a Christian college, a church, a ministry. Listen, Christian, reject extravagant living. Live simply. Divest and invest and give generously and lay up treasures in in eternity. And your life will be full of joy and happiness and peace. Do you trust that? Amen.